Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. An Erio's original. Each week, we decide who's to blame for a historical tragedy. And each week, you tell us if we got it right. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and this is The Aftermath. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into This Aftermath. Today, we're speaking with guest expert Sarah Gristwood. Sarah is an English journalist and author. Her book, Game of Queens, The Women Who Made 16th Century Europe, focuses on five queens— Catherine de Medici, Anne Boleyn, Mary I of England, Elizabeth I, and Mary Queen of Scots. Her most recent book, The Tudors in Love, Passion and Politics in the Age of England's Most Famous Dynasty, came out in 2021. Let's hear what she has to say about the myth of Bloody Mary. Hi, Sarah. We're so excited to have you on today. Very happy to be here. So, Can you start off by giving us a little refresher on who Mary Tudor's parents are and how their union came about? Okay, because that's really the key to her story, isn't it? (laughs) Exactly. Mary was the daughter, the eldest child, eldest living child of Henry VIII by his first wife, Catherine of Aragon. But Mary, no great surprise here from her name, was, of course, a girl, which as far as Henry VIII was concerned, meant that he and Catherine of Aragon had not just no had not just no sons, but no children, no children who could inherit the throne. Because Henry did not believe that a woman could sit on the throne of England. I mean, would just love to go back now and tell him that not only did two of his daughters sit on the throne, 
of England, but one of them was probably the greatest monarch, you know, England's ever had. But hey, hindsight. <laughs> so Mary grew up. Uh, her mother wanted her reared as a future queen, you know. She was sent off to Wales as Princess of Wales to sort of, you know, learn government there. But her father just never bought into the story. And that was even before he met Anne Boleyn. So Henry VIII's romance with Anne Boleyn saw him break from the Catholic Church, to which Mary, like her mother, you know, was a devoted believer and also saw him divorce Catherine of Aragon. So from that point, Mary was officially a bastard. Now, when do start do things start to shift for her in her childhood, even before mm. Anne Boleyn comes into the picture? Um, is she close to her parents? Um, and and mm -hmm. how does that shift take form? Right. She was desperately and that's the right word, probably, close to her mother, Catherine, which meant that as Henry began to move away from Catherine, Mary, I guess, like so many children of divorced parents, was totally caught in the, in, in the fallout. She went wholly to her mother's side. After all, if she'd stuck with her father's side, uh, she would have been a bastard to Catholics, you know, she was the true inheritor of the English throne, but to Protestants, the new Protestant faith coming in, she was out of court. And Mary was devoted to her mother. Catherine of Aragon was, you know, closer to Mary than most royal mothers then were to their children. And as Catherine and Henry became estranged, one of the worst, the cruelest things Henry did to his wife was to forbid her to be in Mary's company. So Mary was really, you know, her, her childhood totally fell apart in those teenage years. After the birth of her half-sister, Elizabeth, mm -hmm. Mary, who has been sent away, returns to court. And under what circumstance, uh, or under what conditions, and, and, and what is this time period like for her? Mm -hmm. After Henry had married Anne Boleyn, after their daughter Elizabeth had been born, Mary was actually sent to play a part in Elizabeth's court. So she was required to wait on, attend on her little half-sister. And, you know, we know that Mary, obstinate like her mother, dug her heels in, wouldn't do this. There was row after row about it. You know, in the end, she had the, they had to arrange quietly to send her food in her room because she wouldn't come down, you know, to the Great Hall and sit at a lower place to Elizabeth, who she was personally fond of, but she absolutely regarded as a bastard. After her mother, Catherine of Aragon, died, Mary and her father were reconciled to some degree. So there Mary was like Elizabeth by now, in this rather weird position that um, nominally they were both bastards, couldn't inherit the throne, but she was also royal, she was also a princess, would she be married off abroad? 
And of course, very soon afterwards, Henry did get the longed for son, a half brother. Yes. What is her life? How does her life shift once her brother is born? Yeah, well, it depends a bit on who was sitting on the throne. And of course, Henry, as we all know, six wives uh, went through the last four of them pretty fast. It was wife number three, Jane Seymour, helped bring about a bit of a reconciliation, as did Anne Cleves, wife number four. You know, she and Mary got on well. Uh, Wife number five was Catherine Howard, who, of course, was divorced and executed for adultery, uh, a kinswoman of Anne Boleyn. So Mary was never going to be, you know, quite on board with her. But Henry's final wife, the sixth wife, Catherine Parr, did a lot to bring about the whole family's reconciliation. All credit to her. And she and Mary got on very well. During Edward's uh, reign, Edward mm. VI's reign, her yes. half-brother, what is Mary's role during that time period? Mm. Difficult. Um, uh, her father's will, as Henry VIII was dying, he made a will. And, you know, the idea was that if his son Edward died without children, always a possibility and, you know, 16th century, mm-hmm. um, then the throne would pass to Mary and then to Elizabeth, despite the fact that they'd been declared bastards. But Edward, far more than his father had been, was a white-hot Protestant. So Mary's religion was always going to be a huge stumbling block. She she never tried, never sought open to rebel against Edward. I mean, as far as, as, as she was concerned, he probably did have the right to the throne, boy trumped girl in the 16th century. But she was not prepared to compromise and not follow her own Catholic faith, whatever the law of the land. And it got to the point that her European, her Habsburg relatives, actually had warships waiting off the coast of England to whisk Mary out of England to safety if necessary. Could you give us a little backstory, uh, help us understand the time period, um, Mm -hmm. and tell us more about the rise of Protestantism? Right, sure. Yeah. Yeah, well, of course, uh, when Mary was born, it was a Catholic Europe. There were calls for reform of the church, but reform with a small r, you know, just changing some sort of corrupt ways and abuses. Quite soon, of course, there became the advent of Martin Luther, the dawn of what we would call Protestantism. Now, Henry VIII was never actually officially a Protestant. He broke from the authority of the Pope in Rome, but to the end of his life, he went on practicing religion according to the old, essentially, the Catholic ways. He'd turned, he'd broken with the Pope to break from Catherine of Aragon to get that son and also, you know, to get perhaps access to the power and wealth that the church wielded. But when Henry died, when Edward, you know, a child, came to the throne, 
it was a very different matter because unlike Henry, Edward and those adults around him really were Protestants, white-hot Protestants who believed absolutely that the Catholic faith was wrong, was corrupt. And this is what Mary had to deal with. And after Edward's death, who he mar- he, he dies very young, uh, how does Mary come to the throne? Yeah, well, basically she takes it. As you say, Edward died 15 and, of course, still without children. So, you know, Henry VIII's nightmare, if you like, had come to pass. (laughs) Now, because Edward was a white-hot Protestant, he knew he was dying, and he knew, of course, that his sister Mary was a Catholic who'd take England back to that faith. So he tried instead to bypass both his half-sisters and um, to pass the throne instead to his his kinswoman, his cousin, distant cousin, Lady Jane Grey. And she was, by, you know, her her powerful father-in-law, her parents proclaimed queen. But Mary Tudor didn't sit down under this, and the people of England didn't sit down under it either. Mary... Uh, avoided attempts to bring her to court and, you know, effectively polite captivity. She set up her standard. She rode to Norfolk, you know, the lands where she had castles, supporters, and men flocked to her banner. It became apparent that no one other than the little gang of nobles around Lady Jane, the ones who'd pushed her onto the throne, actually wanted her there. And Mary basically came to the crown on a a wave of popular acclaim. Now, Mary becomes the first Queen Regnant of England. What does this mean? And how are how do things how are things adjusted for this unprecedented event? Yes. Well, it was unprecedented. There had been ruling queens in Europe, but not in England. Um, The nearest thing was, you know, was centuries before when Matilda tried to take the throne and she didn't really succeed. Um, Of course, a queen can mean two things. It can mean the wife of a king, a queen consort, like at the present, you know, Camilla is Charles's queen consort in Britain, or it can mean the actual sovereign, as Queen Elizabeth was. And Mary was indeed the first sovereign queen, the first queen regnant. And no one knew how this would work out. I mean, everything did have to be adjusted, right, you know, from the the rituals of the the coronation. Mm. Normally, the new king would anoint a number of knights of the bath, and they'd have this kind of literal ceremonial bath to purify. (laughs) Well, you couldn't exactly have a queen, an unmarried woman standing there while that was going on, not in the 16th century. So that had to be changed. You know, would she get at her coronation the the trappings, the crown jewels that were normally given to the monarch, 
or to his wife, to the Queen. She kind of got both, you know, but it absolutely was an unprecedented situation. And of course, what everyone assumed was that this would soon be regularized when she married. But that was a whole other problem because 16th century assumption totally that the husband ruled the household. So when Mary married, if she married, as of course she did, a foreign prince, and he then became effectively, or even officially, England's king, what did that have to say about England's independence? And now she does end up marrying this uh, foreign prince. And how do people take, how do the masses take this news? It went down very badly. Even the schoolboys in the streets were pelting <laughs> the Spanish ambassador, Philip of Spain's ambassador, with, with snowballs. And more seriously, of course, came Wyatt's Rebellion, a revolt coming up from Kent of Englishmen determined not to overthrow Mary as such, but to forbid this Spanish marriage. And there was, it wasn't entirely prejudice, there was some sense behind this in a way, because there is that question of if Mary ceded, handed her authority to a husband, a foreign husband, then what would happen to England? Would England just become part of the mighty Habsburg Empire to which Philip belonged? What was her connection to Philip? Was she in love with him? Uh, What was that relationship? Interesting. Like so many royal marriages, of course, she hadn't met him. Mary had, as a very little girl, been engaged officially to, uh, to Philip's father, the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V. Uh, they were kin. Of course, Mary's mother, Catherine of Aragon, came from the Spanish dynasty, which also produced Charles V. Um, you know who was her? He was her. He was he was um, Mary's cousin, and so Philip was actually her her second cousin. They'd never met when Philip came to England. That was normal for royal marriages, of course. But what's interesting is that Mary was very determined to see this, nonetheless, as a love match. She was older than Philip, you know, a decade older, and she'd aged before her time. Philip showed no great personal inclination for the marriage. You know, he was, however we think of him later in life, at this point, he was rather a handsome young man, you know, didn't much want to be tied to an older woman. Um, Nonetheless, you know, Mary certainly wanted to see this as a love story. When Philip and his, his courtiers landed, his gentlemen landed down on the south coast, Mary went down to meet him. And soon it was said that, you know, she was enormously in love, that, you know, the, the, the foreign ambassador said rather rudely that, you know, she was a slightly plain little woman, you know, rather pale and dumpy. But it was very touching to see how, you know, Philip nonetheless sort of behaved in the perfect gentlemanly way. 
What were some of the changes that Mary set out to make once she took the throne? Mm. Well, of course, the big, the 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 the, the multi million pound question was what would she do in religious terms? And it's interesting looking back, we think of Mary as a total, um, an almost bigoted uh, Catholic, you know, determined to undo everything that her brother had done, and indeed her father. But in fact, she was a bit more pragmatic and political than that. She absolutely wanted to take England back to the Catholic faith, but she knew that not all the people were with her. She knew there'd be difficulties. One of the difficulties was that under her father, uh, all the church lands had been taken into the hands of the crown and then often, you know, redistributed to to favoured nobles. And I mean, the crown had owned something like a third of the land in England. So this was a big deal. Mary knew that, guess what, none of the nobility were going to be, be eager to hand this booty back. So at first, she kind of announced that she was Catholic, that she wanted, but that, you know, that, that people wouldn't be absolutely forced into an immediate return to Catholic ways. But that began to change. Mm. And part of the reason it, it changed was when she married Philip of Spain uh, and the Wyatt Rebellion. Um, it wasn't that Philip was urging her to go further, far from it. He was a pragmatic politician too. But the Wyatt Rebellion had made it clear the Protestants weren't going to give up and go away. And that effectively they might go on trying to place a Protestant candidate, Lady Jane Grey, until she was executed, or Mary's Protestant half-sister Elizabeth mm. on the throne. And the clampdown began. Now Mary is trying to conceive an heir, but instead she has these phantom pregnancies. Can you tell us about those? Yes, she did indeed. Um, quite quite early on in her marriage, you know, Mary told with great pride and pleasure uh, her husband that she was pregnant. You know, great relief all round. And as was the custom for queens, you know, as she drew nearer to her time, she withdrew into seclusion, accompanied only by ladies. That was the normal procedure. And everyone waited. And I mean, at one point, even the bells rang out with the rumour that that Mary had given birth to a child, but she hadn't. Instead, she waited there in seclusion and waited and waited until finally, months later, she had to emerge very quietly from this seclusion with no air. And I mean, she had, you know, her stomach had blown up all the symptoms. So that's why, you know, it is usually described as a phantom pregnancy, perhaps just because she longed for it so much. Mm. Her mother, Catherine of Aragon, of course, had also had that very difficult 
obstetrical history. I mean, again, something similar had happened to Catherine. When she went into seclusion, she miscarried a baby, but her doctors convinced her that she was still pregnant with its twin. And she likewise waited in seclusion. Oh. No sense, of course, in the 16th century. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Now, at what point in, in her reign does Mary start ordering the execution of heretics? Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, how does this go down? Yeah. Well, it started, it started small. Um, to execute heretics was far from an you know, unknown idea in the Europe. I mean, the idea was that by burning their bodies, you were saving their souls. Nonetheless, it does seem likely that Mary thought a short, sharp shock would be all it took. And that's not the way it went. In the end, uh, Mary had burnt some 300 people on the grounds of of heresy. And there are appalling stories have come down to us. You know, the story of the pregnant woman who gave birth at the stake and her baby was flung back into the flames. We do, however, have to remember that a lot of these stories do come to us from a prejudice source. They're from John Fox's Book of Martyrs, the great Protestant martyrologist. So he was going to make the worst of it. And of course, people were executed in the reigns of all the Tudors. Nonetheless, Mary's total stands high. And it's what gave her the famous, the unfair but famous nickname, Bloody Mary. Now, I, I mean, I know her her number of of executions was significant, but her father and her brother and and later her sister, they all had more. Is that correct? Well, I'm not sure about more. Um, I mean, yes, absolutely. They all did have create martyrs. Um, Henry, towards the end of his reign, trying to steer that weird religious middle course that he did, uh, executed. I think it was, yes, it was three Protestants for heresy and three Catholics for treason, i.e. for putting the Pope first, on the same day. Mm. In the long reign of Elizabeth, um, some 200 people would die because of their religion, Catholic priests or their supporters. But... Mary's total, no, Mary's total does still stand high. And it was very nakedly for uh, for religious matters. You know, I think there's a, Elizabeth's were spread, they came more towards the latter part of her reign, but they were spread in the course of that reign of more than half a century. Mary, of course, only kept her, you know, was only on the throne for, for six years. And also, I think, um, Possibly in the reign of of Elizabeth, it was. It was Catholic priests who, for the sake of their faith, had chosen to take this this risk. You know, it was their supporters, which usually meant, you know, people of some standing. Some of those who were burnt under Mary, again, we we do have it from prejudice sources, but some of them hardly seemed, you know, after all, their religion in the course of their lifetime 
had changed from fully Catholic to Henry's half and half to Elizabeth's, you know, to Edward's Protestant. Now they were asked to change back again. This story of, you know, one, one man to be executed saying he had no idea what it was he'd done wrong. And the executioner said he had no idea either. Oh. You know? So it, it, it was, it was brutal stuff. Now, how does Mary die in the end? Mm. Well, she dies. She dies sadly. She dies ill and alone. Um, Mary, Philip of Spain, hadn't stuck around in England. You know, he'd stuck around to, as he hoped, father the heir. He'd then gone off to take, you know, wars, the take other responsibilities in that mighty Habsburg Empire on the continent. He came back uh, to England again, and Mary once again declared she was pregnant. Who knew if anyone other than her, if Philip of Spain, really believed it? Certainly he didn't stick around to find out. Um, it became apparent that this time probably Mary did indeed have, you know, the swelling and so on, but probably it was a cancer. Mm. And in the autumn of 1558, it was very apparent that, that, it, that she was dying. She came to the throne, you know, 1553 in the summer. She quit it uh, at the end of 1558. And the question, of course, was who would succeed her? There was really only one option. Now, at the end of the day, we, we like to ask our guest experts this uh, question. Mm. If you had to pick a person or thing, it could be a concept that you think is to blame for the enduring myth of Bloody Mary. Who right. or what would that be? Uh, I think it would be a PR machine. I think it would be that Elizabeth had a f much better spin doctors than Mary did. Mm. History does tend to be written by the winners. Elizabeth, Mary's Protestant half-sister, won out in that, you know, she remained on the throne for more than half a century, you know, or no, for more than 40 years. Um, um, you know, so much longer than Mary's brief reign. And she did have an excellent uh, image image making machine. I'm even thinking of one picture painted in Elizabeth's reign that you know sort of showed the Tudor succession, Henry VIII, indeed, um, and his little son Edward. And then it had Mary off to one side, attended by the gods of war, because Mary's reign had brought only trouble and strife. You know, England drawn into Spain's war on the continent, and then Elizabeth attended by the goddesses of learning, peace, prosperity. The, the image-making in Elizabeth's day was very conscious. There were, of course, many others with a vested stake in that Protestant cause, like John Fox. And while we mustn't forget the real horrors under Mary's reign, while she's not someone for whom I personally feel a huge sympathy, or many of us, I think, possibly, you know, uh, religious, extreme religious feeling is not now, a, you know, one that's prepared to sacrifice lives 
is not now a, a, a popular cause. Uh, nonetheless, I think that's the tag. The tag was her bad luck, even more than her bad judgment. Mm, bad luck. Yeah. <laughs> up to yeah, up to a point. Yes. Yeah. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today and helping us understand this um, perhaps misunderstood figure or historical figure. Thank you for having me. And I do think that Mary is now beginning to get a bit more of the recognition she does deserve. After Mm. all, she paved the way for her sister Elizabeth's reign, whether or not she wanted to. Wow. She showed that a woman could actually hold the English throne. She was the first. (laughs) There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have stress and anxiety we carry around as we go about our everyday life. At The Alarmist, we know it's always better to say it out loud and talk it through. Whenever I stress about the sinking of the Titanic, I don't sit with those thoughts in a dark room. I turn on the lights and dive right into it. Therapy is a great place to get things off your chest and work through what's really going on. Maybe you can't stop spiraling or catastrophizing. I started therapy over 10 years ago and never looked back. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Heck, we sometimes change our minds and rethink the verdict at The Alarmist. And that's also okay when it comes to therapists. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Alarmist today to get 10% off your first month. 
That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash alarmist. With us today, we have producer Clayton Early. Hello. And fact checker Chris Smith. Hi. It's such a juicy story, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yep. Just... Sarah was such an excellent speaker oh, and I knowledgeable. Mean, so um, so yeah. fun to hear her yes. talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I could just go on and on. Um, she, yes, I love talking to Sarah. And interesting figure, historical figure. I mean, I, I feel like in learning about her, I remember learning about her in high school it's very much glossed over. Mm-hmm. You know, there was Henry the eighth. Oh, and then there's the bloody Mary. She was the, you know, she killed a lot of people guys. And right. then, uh, and then let's now let's talk about Elizabeth. But like Sarah said, she was the first queen. Mm-hmm. She paved Trailblazer. the way. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And credit where credit is due. She had her mm-hmm. convictions too, which made her, uh, more compelling just the way Sarah talked about her. Cause when you look at Henry VIII, as Sarah said, he continued to practice Catholicism. So the guy made an ultimate hedge. Like for, for you, we're going to change the church to Protestantism. For me though, I'm going to kind of keep doing Catholicism over here just in case it's real, I guess. Mm. So, well, it's probably what he was used to. And, and he, he just made you know. a big mess basically for everyone to kind of have to clean mm-hmm. up after him. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, A lot. uh, Now, I I saw you guys taking notes. There was a lot that Sarah was throwing our way. Mm -hmm. She she really put things into context. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mary's life, um, her struggles and and how she really came to the throne. Mm -hmm. And then. It was a a very sad life. I, every time I I think about her story, it's a, a, it really is a story of rejection, right? Mm-hmm. You know, she she was trying to you know whether it's be be accepted by her father or be accepted by the people, be accepted by her husband, mm-hmm. um, by her faith, you know, um, and in the end, she. Did not succeed. Yeah. It was, a, it was a hard needle to thread for her. She had the nobility to deal with. She had um, the constituency, all of the, all of the people. Um, I yeah. thought two things we probably could have put up on the board that we didn't were probably John Fox, who wrote the book, which sort of coined the phrase. I thought that as well. And then the other one was the, was the nobility, who she had to kind of uh, pander to, who were still, who were Protestants, right? Or some of them were. Well, they were now fervent uh, right. uh, Protestants speak, uh, after Edward VI's reign. Right. There was that flip. And now she was trying to flip it again. So there, it, 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 it's almost like we should have we put up on the board like too much change too quickly. We're mm. talking like, you know, this is a, Edward's reign was, uh, I want right. to say it was like seven years or something like that. And then right. five years later, you know, five years of back to Catholicism, Mm -hmm. you know, there was a lot happening and people were having to adjust and Mm -hmm. no one likes change. Right. Like she was having to react to a lot. You know, it's like, she wasn't necessarily didn't seem like she was like making the decision. She was like reacting to all these very like extreme circumstances around her and then trying to rule as the new queen around all of that, which 
That's a good word for her, actually. I, I would say her entire life, she was just reacting to how pe- the things that people were doing to her. Right. <laughs> it was like uh, there was so much confusion and chaos. It's like when you play that softball game where you sort of put the bat on the top of your head and spin around five times and <laughs> mm-hmm. you have to sure. play kickball. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> that was like probably what her reign was like in my mind, at least. Right. Yeah. I mean, at at and at the end of the day, her cause, which you know she really leaned on her religion, was mm-hmm. was not very, uh, you know. I, I think at the time it was more understandable, but it's not sympathetic. Mm. Um, nowadays, right. you know. Oh right! When it comes yeah. to her myth and to her, Sarah did say legacy. that, which made things interesting. It's like from a modern perspective, religious zealotry is not something. Yeah, like very not very popular these days. Yeah. <laughs> right now. Well, you're talking about intolerance. <laughs> right, I, you know, right, right. It's it, there's plenty it's, of religious intolerance, but I guess people aren't allowed to burn people at the stake for it anymore, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, few. Yeah, no. yeah, few. Some things <laughs> have <God>. changed. Yeah. <laughs> um, and one thing she did correct, which was that we were like, oh, her, uh, there were other monarchs who killed a bunch of people too. But, you know, she, she, Sarah set us straight there, which was that Mary was, had, did have a high body count when it came to sort of martyrs and religious mm. right. martyrs. It was very specific. Yeah. Uh, right. She really went after a specific group. Right. Okay, so what did we end up sending to the alarmist jail, Clayton? Can you give us a little refresher? Yes. Um, we threw our fear of women in the alarmist jail. Uh-huh. And we gave the big slap to religious intolerance. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Sarah said it was the uh, Mary's PR a bad, machine. A PR machine, which we did have bad yeah. PR on our board. <laughs> we had PR on the board. Oh, so close. We we it did. Yeah, I I like I like the bad PR machine. I think mm-hmm. that, you know we assigned we we kind of folded bad PR machine into people's idea of women and and mm-hmm. the, un, how unpopular it must have been. Uh, to be a queen at the time, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but perhaps I'm not saying that's not part of it, but maybe it's more like if she had, like Sarah said, better spin doctors, right? Well, and like if well, she had, you know, what she said, history is written by the winners. If Mary yes. had not had the ending that she had and had kind of reigned supreme for so Mm -hmm. long imagine how different her history books would have been written by her people of course right right and and i i do think the reign of elizabeth kind of flies in the face a little bit of the fear of women going to jail because (laughs) she did have a quite a long and successful reign but i think it was due you know a big part of it was due to her publicity machine Right. And and you know, having good support on that yeah. front. Yeah. Perhaps mm-hmm. had Mary had that kind of uh those kind of publicists, those spin doctors, <laughs> like Sarah called them, um, maybe she would have I mean, at the in the end she would have died when she died, right? Yeah. There she couldn't have she couldn't control right. that. But perhaps we wouldn't still know her as Bloody Mary, the Bloody Mary. Mm-hmm. So 
I think we should change the verdict. Okay. I think that's what I'm leaning towards. What would you, what do you want to do it to uh, bad PR or? Yeah. Okay. I think bad PR and we keep with slapping religious intolerance. Okay. Um, because it does deserve the slap yeah. then and now. Yeah, still right? not popular. Still not popular. <laughs> Look, this is why we have these guest experts. This is why we love them. They give us the real scoop. And I'm sure that our, uh, you know, the fear of women, I, I, uh, it prevails. And it was strong back sure. then. I, you know, y- yes. that's just a feeling in my bones that I have. Yeah, <laughs> We're still trying to shake that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but uh, perhaps yeah. this one could have been helped by better PR. So I'm going to call it Mary's bad publicity. You're going to the alarmist jail. I think it's the first time we we've sent publicist to jail. Mm. Ha- has it? I mean, media. It's like it's like media adjacent, uh-huh, right? Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's a dangerous uh, industry to go into, publicity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You could be sent to the alarmist jail if you do it poorly. Yeah, be careful out there if you're, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) Well, uh, I just want to remind everyone before we go to rate, review, and subscribe. we're, We're trying to, you know, get to 1 million episodes and we need more ears on the podcast. So this is the best thing you can do if you want to help us and support the show and stay tuned because next week we're going to be discussing the Nevado del Ruiz eruption. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.